Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. I heard about a father, he was really trying to be an exceptional dad. So he thought what he would do is he would go and tuck his kids in at night and he would sing a lullaby to them before he put them to sleep. And so every night he did that for months and months and months, he would sing to his kids. And he did that up until one night he overheard his four-year-old whisper to her little brother and she said this, if you will just pretend you're asleep, he'll stop singing. Well, best laid plans, right guys? Well, thanks for the effort. I'm sure it blesses the kids. But I would tell you on a Father's Day, there is a huge difference between fathering a child and being a father to a child. And so many of you this morning are here today, and I'm so grateful for your presence because you honor the Lord, you've honored your your families by being here today. And I hope I can say something to you this morning that will help you be more effective as as a dad, as, as a husband, whatever your role is in life, because the Bible has so much practical instruction uh, the, the, in fact, so many times we look for these spiritual, you know, way over your head kind of realities when the Bible is the most practical book in all the world. It is a very doable book. It is a very, as I said, a very practical book. And in the Bible, you learn two teaching methods. There are what is called principles that are taught in the Bible. And then there are precepts that are taught in the Bible. And the difference between a principle and a precept, is, it goes like this. A principle is something you see as you're traveling down the road where it says drive friendly, right? Drive friendly. That's a principle. It could be applied in different ways, and people apply it and receive it in a different way. It's a generality. It's a principle. Now, a precept, different than the principle, a precept is speed limit 55, where one may be abstract, one is more concrete. And in the Bible, there are principles, there are precepts that teach us how to be better people, that teach us how to be more effective in every every area of our life. And I, I wanna take some principles this morning from a great psalm that I hope will help us as men to be better husbands, to be better fathers, to be better grandfathers, whatever role that you're playing in life, that you will be more effective by learning the principles as well as the precepts from this psalm. In fact, look with me in the 128th Psalm, and the Bible says, blessed are all you who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Let me, let me explain that. Uh, when you think of fearing the Lord, so many times people think that to mean cringing dread of God. And there is a sense in which I guess you fear God in that way, that he is powerful and he's awesome and God can do anything and he, he certainly, you know, he, he certainly be feared in the sense that he has all power. But that's really not what it's talking about. The concept of fearing God, particularly when he's talking to his own kids, has to deal with respect, to revere the Lord. Not fear him in the sense that you cringe and you, and you move away from him, but it's to fear him in the sense that you have reverence for him and respect for him. And so he opens the psalm by saying, if you want a blessed life, if you want a happy life, learn the value of revering God and walking in his ways. And here's the payoff. He said, you will eat the fruit of your labor, 
Blessing and prosperity will be yours. He says, thirdly, in verse three, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, just flourishing and happy. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man who blessed who fears the Lord. And then he said, may the Lord bless you from Zion and uh, all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem and may you live to see your children's children. And he closed it by saying, peace be upon Israel. What he's talking here is a person living a life in such a way that people outside of their home will see how blessed they are. That people that they work with will see how exceptional they are. And I think every man in the room, I think I certainly would aspire to live such a life and to have those things to be said about me. And when you study this and you break this apart, I found four ways to look at this Psalm, principle and precept. And the first thing I would have you to consider is it opens with what I'm calling a faithful walk. Blessed are you, happy are you, healthy are you, if you have a reverence of God and if you learn to walk in his ways. And I would suggest to you that the first step to having a, a good life and a, a godly home, it begins with, with you personally. Uh, so many times I think when we talk about marriages or we talk about families or we talk about parenting, um, we broaden the lens out too far. I think you need to bring the lens in a little tighter and know that it all begins with us individually. It all starts within me. I would tell every guy in the room, since it's Father's Day and I'm talking mainly to the guys today, I, I would say, first of all, you have to examine your own personal health and your own personal walk with the Lord. The psalmist was really bringing that focus in. He was saying, if you want to have a blessed life, if you want to be a, a man who is admired not only within his family, but outside of his family, it begins with how you revere and how you view God, and it begins with your daily walk, your daily walk with God. I would encourage you guys to, to monitor how you're doing in that regard. To realize, men, that you are made of three essential elements. You are a physical person, you are an emotional person, and you are a spiritual person. We talk about that a lot in our church because I think it's important that we wrap our hands around how God has made us so we can evaluate how we're doing. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul was saying, I pray to God that your whole spirit and soul and body, you get the three, spirit and soul and body, be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. Uh, we call that again in theological circles, it's called trichotomy, spirit, soul, body, tri, three. Now some theologians call it dichotomy. They put the spirit and soul together. I say potatoes, potatoes. I'd separate it out because that's where 1 Thessalonians 5 goes, spirit and soul and body. And I think about our lives this way. I think that we are physical, we are emotional, we are spiritual. So if I'm going to bring a lot into a relationship, if I'm gonna be impactful as a parent, I need to first of all realize it begins with me that the focus I have to put initially is on my life, and I have to be honest with myself and ask myself, how am I doing in these three essential areas of my life? How healthy am I emotionally? How healthy am I physically? How healthy am I spiritually? And I would suggest to all of the men that one of the first steps to having a healthy home begins with having a healthy you. Uh, there was a movie that Cindy kind of drug, drugged me to, and I watched it. Uh, it's called Jerry Maguire. Any of you guys' wives drug you to that movie back in the day? Jerry Maguire. Tom Cruise? No? Nobody remember that? Okay. I don't know. The kind of movies I was more drawn to, I just need somebody to shoot a gun every now and then. Just fire it up into the air. I need a car chase. 
I need something scary to keep me engaged. She loved those romantic movies. And I remember a line from the movie that struck me. Here's the one thing I got out of that movie is this line that was so crazy when he said, you complete me. You complete me. And that was all, everybody, oh, what a beautiful thought that someone could come into your life and actually complete you. And I thought, that's insane. (laughs) I didn't say that out loud, but I thought, that's crazy. Listen, there's not a person in the world who can come into your life and complete you. That's not even biblical. In fact, what the Bible talks about is everything begins with me being a healthy me, and if I'm not healthy, there's not another person in the world that can come into my life and make me something that I'm not. I have to be healthy in and of myself. A half person cannot be fulfilled by another half person. Two half people doesn't make a whole relationship. It makes for a dysfunctional mess. (laughs) I mean, the best thing you can bring into your relationship is a healthy you. And before we start pointing our fingers at our spouses or our kids, we have to look at ourselves and ask ourselves the question, how faithful is my walk? How consistent am I in keeping myself healthy physically, emotionally, and spiritually? It really does begin with us. And you have to monitor the gauges because most men, we like to fix things. I'd get myself in trouble with Cindy occasionally when she would bring me a problem and I would say, okay, here's three things you do. If you do these three things, we're done here. And she'd go, I know how to fix it. I just need you to work with me and let's process it. And I had to learn sometimes women need to process it and we men don't need to jump to try to fix it. It took me 42 years to learn that, but I learned that, guys. And the, and the point that I'm driving at this morning is that what we tend to do as men is we try to fix things and we jump into things and we try to fix, and sometimes we jump into things and we try to fix things that we need to allow the process to work and we just need to allow time to take place. And, and I'm suggesting that sometimes as men, we can own things that we don't need to own and we try to fix things that we don't need to fix because most men are wired up in such a way that we get a lot of our fulfillment and we live a lot of our self-satisfaction out of our accomplishment and our achievements. Meaning that if our work is good, we feel good about ourselves. I mean, if the money is good, and, and then we feel good. And then if the work suffers or the money is strained, then sometimes as a man, we feel we fail. And you, you, you can bring that into your home. You, you can bring that, that dissatisfaction into a relationship. So I'm saying, guys, you gotta realize you're not what you do. You are an individual, you stand alone before God, and before you evaluate your self-worth based upon what you do in life, your vocation or your calling, you have to realize, man, God doesn't see you that way. He sees you entirely differently. And you have to look at yourself and say, I am spiritual, I am emotional, I am physical, and how am I doing in these areas of my life? How faithful am I in giving attention to these essential areas of my life? Because I really won't go a step farther into a relationship or into parenting, guys, if we're not healthy in and of ourselves. So I would focus on my own health. And what a wonderful day it is on a Father's Day to evaluate, Lord, how am I doing in this area of my life? I told you on Mother's Day that principle in Proverbs where he talks about Proverbs 18, 22, where he says, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing, a good thing. He didn't say a man who finds a woman necessarily finds a good thing. Now, what's, what's the, the, the difference? The difference is not every woman will necessarily be a good wife. 
Uh, and conversely, can I say on Father's Day, a woman who finds a good husband finds a good thing. Not every man will make a good husband. So if you're interested in having a good husband, um, then you need to find more than just a good man. You need to find some man with husband qualities. Remember I told you a few weeks ago, it takes more than being hot. Remember? I told you hell is hot and you don't want to go there either. So it's more than just being hot. You, you need to find someone who has all of those elements that not just a, a good man, but a, a good husband, not just a good woman, but a good wife. And so it begins with your own personal health and how are you doing in that regard? I would tell you, man, physically, guys, when's the last time you went and just got a physical? You just got, I remember, man, when I had that heart attack back in 2010, that scared me. I mean, my goodness, I thought, wow, that shook me up. I was running like six miles a day, much better shape than I am now. I mean, I'm still in shape, but round, round's a shape. But back then, I was actually in, in really good shape. And in the middle of all that, I have a heart attack. Got two or three stents in my heart now, right? And the, and the cardiologist, I have one of those now, and an oncologist, I'm telling you, I'm an old joker. And, and my cardiologist told me, he goes, man, I've got marathon runners who have heart conditions. It's genetics. And what hit me was I had not been doing a good job at going, I thought, man, I'm in pretty good shape. I'm running, I'm working out, I'm doing all those kind of things. But I, I, I wasn't having my blood work done. I wasn't getting that evaluation. And what I did on that Father's Day in 2010, when I came back after that mess, I challenged our men to go to the doctor. And I had several guys in the weeks following who said, I actually went and got a checkup. And I found I got some things that are a little crazy in my blood and I'm getting that addressed. And go, so guys, can I tell you on Father's Day, make sure you're doing well physically. One of the best things you can do for your family is to take care of you. So go get to physical if you hadn't had one. Emotionally, how are you doing with your emotional health? How are you dealing with that? How are you doing with your spiritual health? And I'll compliment you, you're in church this morning. Way to go you, that's great. You, you've just said you value that. So watch the gauges, watch the gauges of your life because a happy home begins with a faithful walk, revering God, walking in his ways. Number two, this faithful walk also involves a fruitful work a fruitful work. He talks about the payoff or the benefit of a father who's healthy, who's pursuing God, who's reverencing God. The payoff being initially, he talks about the impact on his wife. What a difference it makes in her. In fact, in Ephesians 5, when Paul was talking about having a healthy marriage, Paul talks about how a husband is to love his wife. And he says, we love our wives as Christ loved his church. And then he breaks it down. And I found four ways of thinking about how husbands should love their wives. Number one, we love them, Ephesians 5, 25, sacrificially. He says, the Lord was willing to lay down his life for his church, and we as men should love our wives in that same way. Meaning we love them sacrificially. We're interested in what is best for them. Second word I would give you is sanctifyingly. Ephesians chapter five, verse 26. In other words, the love that Jesus had for his church made his church better. I've told you one of the ways as I think about Cindy now that she's in heaven is the love she had for me made me better. She made me more effective in how I communicated. She, I've told you before, just one little uh, example of how she helped me is she'd say, Bill, you give good information. You, 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 when you speak, you, you drop a lot of information out there. But she said, I don't feel anything when you talk. 
and I need to feel something. She said, women want to connect and they want to feel something. They don't want to just be an information dump. They want to feel something. So tell some personal stories and, and be a little more open and be a little more vulnerable. Let them know you struggle too. And I was listening to what she was saying. She wasn't being critical. It was, it was very positive input that I would tell you, help me be more effective. I hope I'm more effective. <laughs> I may have to be way off here. But my point is, she really helped me understand the value of, of seeing it from a woman's point of view. And in our relationship with each other, she, I could say this, she made me a better man. And I hope in some way I made her a better woman. And I think if I understand what Ephesians 5 is teaching, it's guys, when you're in a relationship with someone, to love them sanctifyingly means you'll make them a better person. You'll make them more unique. You'll make them uniquely who God has already designed them to be. You bring those qualities out in their life. So you love them sacrificially, you love them sanctifyingly. Here's the third one, you love them satisfyingly. Satisfyingly. There's something satisfying about being in a relationship where you are totally committed to one another. And then fourthly, you love them singularly. Ephesians chapter 5, 31, the Bible says those two in that kind of relationship, those two become one flesh. You love them singularly. Uh, the, it's the idea that they are the priority of your life. That when you honor your spouse, the word honor means to give weight to them, meaning that you regard what they say to you more heavy than the word that someone else might say to you. If you're in business and your spouse is a part of that business, you might weigh their opinion about the personnel or about the business decision heavier than you would weigh the opinion of someone else you're working with. In that way, you honor them. When you're processing and you're at dinner and you're processing something and they give you an opinion, you weigh their opinion because that's the way in which you love them, you weigh their opinion heavier than the opinions of anyone else. And so you understand the value, and when you do that, you are loving them singularly. You're letting them know, I value you, and I value your opinion. And I would tell you, man, this idea of the fruitful work of building a strong relationship, it takes time. And by the way, can I tell you this? There's no perfect homes. There are no perfect marriages. The minute you think a friend of yours has such a great relationship, what you're saying about your friend is you just don't know them as well as you thought. <laughs> Everybody's struggling. There are no perfect homes. I saw this saying one time, said, so it ain't home sweet home, so adjust, right? Adjust, just deal with it. I, I mean, there's no little houses on the prairie in the room this morning or watching online. Everybody struggles in their marriages. Everybody struggles in their family life. That's normal, that's fine. But what you do when you honor your spouse is you're weighing heavily the things that they're telling you and you are taking it seriously because you wanna build an effective relationship with that person. Um, Cindy and I were married 42 years before she went to heaven. And I used to joke about what kept us together and I would tell people that I always said, if Cindy ever leaves me, I'm going with her. <laughs> What I was trying to say in that is that we just had a commitment to one another. Uh, uh, and, and really, can I say this? Love will not keep you together because love will ebb and flow in a relationship. It'll get stronger, it'll get weaker. The passion will be good and the passion will, will wane. You have to nurture that. What will keep you together is when two people, and by the way, one can't do this either. One person can't make that marriage work. But if two people are equally committed and they're saying, by the grace of God, we're gonna make this thing work, 
then it, you can develop a healthy, happy relationship. And, and I would say this too, fellas, listen to your wife's assessment of your relationship. This is free like the rest of it. <laughs> and that is, she is more in tune with the relationship. You may be more in tune with the, the business side of things, but God has gifted her in a way to be more nurturing than you are, so she is going to be more in tune with the relationship, more so than you are initially. I, I talk to a lot of couples, and I'm not really a, a counselor. I can evaluate and assess, but I, I get out of my depth pretty quick, and so I try to encourage people, hey, I've got great counselors that can go farther than I'm able to go with you in, in, in a counseling setting. But I talk to a lot of couples, hey, man, we're struggling with this. Everybody struggles with something. And I find myself, if I'm not careful, I'll listen to one, and I'll go, golly, that's terrible. That's awful. God, what a jerk. And, I'll, and I don't say that out loud, but I'm thinking that. And then he'll come in and I talk to him and I'm going, she is crazy. How do you, I don't say that out loud either, but I'm just saying, you know, and I realize that about me, I have that empathetic side of me that I don't always, you know what I mean, know how to, to figure out, because I think there's probably crazy on both sides that we're both wrong. It was certainly true of me and Cindy. I'm just simply suggesting that you need somebody that can help process that with you. And what I do is I assess it and then I say, hey, look, you need to, you need to talk to some people that can help you navigate through this. And I never understood couples that are resistant to getting counseling. I never understood guys that are resistant to getting counseling. And, and, and well, I don't wanna say that because I was resistant initially. I, I really was. I always thought, well, I can figure this out. I can work this out. I can read books. I can talk to people. I don't need to talk to anybody. And I had that in my head. Cindy, that's another thing she helped me with is no, you really need to go talk to somebody. You're carrying some baggage from a lot of years ago that you need to process with. And it really helped change my life. And so many times, guys, we are hesitant to that and our wives say, look, we need to talk through this. We need to get some help with this. And we resist it. And as a man, I've never fully understood it. Initially I do, but not completely because if our car breaks down and we don't know how to fix it, we'll go to a mechanic and we'll pay a mechanic. If we had a, a legal issue and we don't know how to resolve that, we'll go to an attorney and we'll pay the attorney. If our health breaks down and we don't know how to navigate that, we'll go to a physician and we'll pay the physician. But when our relationships are in trouble, sometimes we don't want to pay the money to have a professional out there somewhere help us navigate that. It's crazy. The greatest, most significant relationship you have is that relationship you have with your spouse. Those people you're doing business with, man, if life goes south and you're on your sick bed, those business partners, they ain't gonna be coming around giving you some medicine and taking care of you and checking your temperature and helping you to the potty. That ain't happening. Let me tell you who will be. That spouse is gonna be there. And they're gonna be there to help you every step of the way. So I'm saying sometimes we do the least for people who love us the most. So you have to be careful that we're listening to what they're telling us and if the relationship's in trouble that we, that we elevate. Look, you, you may not totally even agree. You may say, well, she sees it differently than I, I understand that. That's why God has such a great sense of humor. He puts these opposite people together in the same relationship, isn't that fun? But here's what I can tell you about perception. If a person thinks a thing is hot, even though the thing isn't hot, it might as well be hot because it's hot to them. So when you are navigating through a relationship, you have to deal with perception. And until you can get past the perception and respect someone enough to say, that's your perception, it's not mine, but I respect you because I love you and I'm gonna help you work through that, then you're never gonna resolve these issues. The other thing that's free is I would say you have to realize you're not right about everything. You're just not. 
You, you, boy, you, 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 bring your, uh, you bring your thesis, and then you're going to hear antithesis, and then you got to find synthesis. <laughs> and then you find the way forward. And that's how you try to navigate through relationships, and you can make it work. It is, a, it is worth the trouble. It is worth the work. It is worth the time and the effort if you'll put the work in. And then, man, not just the wife, but then you have the kids, Dad. What a challenge it is to be a good father with your kids. When I looked in the Bible, I found several ways in which the Bible resp- uh, describes a good father. One of the ways it describes a good father is not only does he take care of his wife in those ways in which I described, but he also tries to be there for his kids. And one of the ways a good dad is there for his kids is, first of all, to be their protector. To be their protector. The Bible says, this is a great word, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, that bad company corrupts good morals. So when I think about a father as a protector, I'm thinking about a dad who looks out for who his kids are hanging out with. Most of the time when you talk to child psychologists and people who are dealing with kids in trouble, they'll tell you the train jumped the track because they got around some bad friends, some bad associates. And kids go through that stage of life where they're looking for affirmation and they're looking for someone to confirm them and sometimes they'll find that in a negative way and they get drawn into some negative circles. So I'm saying, Dad, one of the responsibilities we have, and this is for moms too, but I'm talking to dads today, but it is to be their protector. Give it to you another way, get in their business. (laughs) Get in their business. You said they'll pitch a fit. Well, you pitch a bigger fit. You're bigger than they are, you outfit them. You just say, sorry, honey, I love you too much. You're not hanging out with that guy. You're not going out with that girl. Sorry, Uh uh-uh, ain't happening. No, not on my watch. You are their protector. Second word I'd give you guys, a provider. That's pretty obvious, right? First Timothy 5, 8, Proverbs 13, 22. I don't think most men in the room have an issue with being a provider. We all get that. But it's more than just material goods. It's your emotional health. Their kids' emotional health. Be in tune with how kids are emotionally. And guys, I can tell you, from, again, from experience, that takes time. Because you learn how your kids are. Some of you have kids that you'll read them right away. You can tell when they're not in a good place emotionally. And you can pick right up on that. Sometimes with a kid, you can't pick up on it. You have to take a trip with them. Maybe go fishing with them. Go, to go on a hike with them. Maybe you have to get them away and you have to isolate them a little bit. And you may have one of those kids that after a period of time will finally open up and start talking to you, but they won't do that initially. Dads, that's time well spent. If you've got a kid that just automatically opens up, wonderful. Make some time every week, make some time every other week, uh, at least to get them to open up. And then if they're one of those kids that have trouble opening up, find occasions when you can get them alone somewhere to get them to open up because you're trying to help and shepherd them as a protector and a provider. You're wanting to make sure their emotional needs are met. Another thing under that, guys, I would tell you, is always be a safe spot for your kids to land. Some of us had dads that you would be afraid to be honest, completely honest with them, because you might be afraid they'd knock you into next week somewhere. (laughs) Or you were afraid that you would just disappoint them. Always be a safe place, dads. Be someone that your kids can know. He may not agree with me, He may even discipline me, but I don't fear talking to my father because I know he always loves me. I I guess what I'm saying, guys, is part of being a protector is be a safe place for your kids to land. And and, and you say, well, I haven't done that very well. That's okay. This is a brand new day. Find some opportunity this week to get your kid alone somewhere and say, hey, 
I'm drawing a line. Father's Day, I made some decisions, and one of them is, I want to be a safe place for you. You can tell me anything. So you be a provider, you be a protector. A third thing I tell you dads when it comes to the kids is be a promoter. Be a promoter. I mean, what do I mean by that? I, I mean to affirm the things that your kids are good at. Uh, in other words, try to watch and see, are, is your child artistic? Do you see some natural? Well, affirm them in that, in their art. Are they athletic? Affirm them in that. In other words, all of our kids are good at something. The Bible says in the 133rd Psalm, we are uniquely and wonderfully made. I believe from the moment of conception, when life begins, I believe from that moment, God has a plan and a purpose, a design for our kids' lives. And I think one of the wise ways in which a parent observes their children is they try to discern as they're getting older, what is this child uniquely designed to do? And then you affirm them in that. You promote them, you say, you're good at that. This is something that you're, you're, you excel in. And so you become, as a father, their promoter. And then here's a spiritual responsibility. You become a priest. When you look in the book of Job, probably the oldest book of the Bible, Job recognized his responsibility as a spiritual responsibility for his children. And again, I compliment you guys for being here this morning. And I could tell you, one of the most significant things we can do for our children as, as a father is to set a good example for them. Look, it, and by the way, it's not perfection because none of us are perfect, it's consistency. Another word for consistency is faithfulness. Our kids know we mess up. Our kids know we don't say things that are real sanctified all the time. <laughs> they know that. They ride with us, they see the road rage. They see when things unsanctified come out of our mouth. <laughs> they, they know all that. It, it's, not, it's not perfection because we're not perfect. It's consistency and it's faithfulness. It's owning it. And that means so much to the kids when they see that within us. And that leads me to the third point, kind of as being a priest. It, it brings about the idea of a family worship, a family worship. And can I tell you guys, boy, we, somebody told me, I, I don't know who did the math, but they said we only have our kids about 6,500 days from the time they're born until the time they're, they're out of the house, 6,500 days. That's not a lot of time to spend with kids, especially if you think about their physical well-being, their emotional well-being, their spiritual well-being. I, I saw a troubling statistic. Barna had a stat that said the average family attend church since COVID uh, less than once a month on average, less than once a month. And, and here's the challenge, guys. I'd have you in your thinking with this, and not just because of what I do. I think I would say this if I was the plumber. I, I'm just simply suggesting to you, uh, if it's not important to you today, it's probably not gonna be important to them tomorrow, right? Because kids are going to follow your example more than your words, um, what, and what you do speak so loudly, they don't always hear what you say. So one of the things as a father we wanna do is model before them examples. And one of the ways, again, I compliment you for being here, setting before your children the example of saying, hey, worship is a part of our family, it's a part of our life. It's like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're gonna worship the Lord. And it's communicating to your kids. Um, in Deuteronomy 6, this is a great study. I'm just gonna give you the, the Cliff Notes version. In Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 31, Moses taught the principle of teaching one generation to teach the next generation to teach the next generation. And he gave the warning that if that is not communicated to each generation, then there will come a generation that is disconnected completely from their faith. You read Judges 2, read Joshua 24, here's a pattern that you'll see. 
The first pattern is they experienced God working. The Red Sea parted. They walked through on dry ground. They, they experienced it. The walls of Jericho fell. They experienced that firsthand. They saw things happen firsthand that changed their life. Then their children, the next generation came along. They didn't experience it. Check this out. They heard about it. They heard about it. Mom and dad or grandma, man, they had these great moves of God in their life and that God did some incredible, dad started this business and he and mom went all in and man, out of the blue, God just blessed it and it blew up and that's incredible. I've heard, now, they didn't experience it. Are you following me? They heard about it. Now, by the time the next generation gets here, they didn't experience it. Um, they only, the next generation didn't even hear about it and they're a generation that then becomes totally disconnected from faith. No experience, didn't hear about it, and not experiencing or hear about it, there's a disconnect from the physical, yeah, they give attention there. Emotional, a lot of attention there, but there's no spiritual value. What's my point? My point is we have an opportunity as well as an obligation to communicate our faith to our children. Now, let me tell you this. We can't force faith on our kids. You can't force them. You can expose them into an environment where they can own their faith at some point, um, but you can't force it on them. You can't talk them into it. That's not what it's about. But when you bring your kids into an atmosphere like this and you bring your kids into a church environment where they're hearing the same things you're teaching them at home and it's reinforcing it, statistics say families that do that see their kids own their faith early in life than families who don't do that. In fact, a stat I saw was pretty interesting that said that most people uh, committed to following Christ before they were 10 years old if their family had some connection to a church. If they had no connection to a church, those kids typically became grownups who didn't receive Christ until late in life, and many of them have no experience of ever receiving Christ at all. So my point is, I'm just driving to the hoop here on Father's Day to tell you and, and, and honor you for being here, that that is an incredible thing you're doing in communicating faith to your children. It is, a, it is a family worship. And here's the last thought. Here's the payoff again. It is a future wealth, verse six, a future wealth. He's saying when you do these things the right way, God will bless you. He's gonna take care of you. And guys, I can tell you, God's gonna take care of your family. He's gonna take care of you. There's gonna be hard times. There's gonna be times when you're gonna quit or wanna quit. There's gonna be times when you, 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 you know, you're gonna walk away or gonna wanna feel like walking away. I get all that, that's part of it. But if you'll just stay committed, you'll stay faithful, you'll stay focused, and you fight through those hard times, there is a promise that God is gonna take care of you and he's going to bless your family. They're worth it. They're worth the effort, they're worth the prayer, they're worth the difficulty. Stay by the stuff, just don't quit. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this weekend where we can honor dads. And I pray the message, at least there's elements I pray within the message that the Holy Spirit could take and challenge us to be better fathers, to be better husbands. Father, there's stepdads in this room that have just come into a, a family and done incredible things. There are people, Father, that have gone through the heartache of a broken home and you've healed that home and they're doing incredible things. So Father, we know there's no cookie cutter pattern of what a family looks like. There's no perfect families. We just know, Lord, that it's just moms and dads and husbands and wives working as hard as they know how. 
Father, to just honor you and to raise their children. So bless them in that effort. Encourage them in that effort today. I pray, Lord, you'll affirm these dads today. Bless their businesses. Bless their families. Father, I pray if there's one in the room who've never trusted you or one watching online who's never received you, that this would be the moment where they just humble their hearts right where they are and they say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sin. I believe you died on a cross and I believe you rose for me and right now where I am, I receive you as Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.